Guys, we are starting a new book of the Bible tonight. Yes. It's been a long time. Uh, and what we're going to do, we're going to do a book that's nice and short and sweet and clear, just as a nice break from Leviticus. Leviticus was awesome, but it was long and not clear. So this is going to be short, sweet, clear. Uh, we're doing the book of James, and we're going to be in it for eight weeks. So if you had a guess, anybody now? Wrong. No problem. Uh, so turn to the book of James. Book of James, eight weeks or so in James. Um, so James is a funny book. For it's, it's unique. It's kind of like, if you guys know about uh, the book of Proverbs, it's kind of like that in the New Testament. Um, it's not like neatly organized. It's kind of just like scatterbrained. Like he says this, and then he's over here, and then he's over here. So what we're going to do, um, this is how we're going to walk through it. We're going we're gonna to essentially do verse by verse but we're going to kind of do it topically. So every time James talks about money, we're going to like do a money sermon and all the verses that James talks about money, we're going to do that. Like all the times he talks about suffering, like he talks about it a few different times, we're going to do like a sermon on that. So it's going to be like, we're going to start from the beginning, go to the end, but we're going to kind of skip ahead and just grab all the verses out of James that talk about whatever we're talking about that day. Um, so tonight we're starting in James 1 verse 1. Then we're going to read verse 18 of, verse, of chapter 1, verse 22 to 25 out of chapter 1. And then in chapter 2, we're going to read 14 to 26, okay? Um, title, if it just helps you like wrap your mind around the theme, it's faith that acts. That's what t tonight is about. So I'm going to read that. Uh, we'll read James 1. 1, 18, 22, 25, chapter 2, 14 to 26, and then we will pray. So let's do it. So James chapter 1 says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Now jump ahead to verse 18. He's talking about God. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, verse 22 now, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed by his doing. And then skip ahead to chapter 2, verse 14. And we're just going to read that chunk. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. 
Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that a faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. It's God's word. Let's pray. God, thank you for your, your holy word to us. God, would we just be in awe right now that we just... We just heard from God, that that is spirit breathed and inspired, that we can, we can know who you are and what it is to, to love you and to follow you and to be rescued by you because you've spoken God. This is, this is like a holy time. This, this really matters to open your word. And so God, would you just come, Holy Spirit, would you help us to stay awake? Would you help us if we have questions? Would you help me just to be faithful to communicate what is here in your word, God? Come and meet with us. We want to meet with you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you can raise your hand. How many of you guys grew up with sibling drama? Like, not just siblings, but like drama, okay? I honestly, major sibling drama. Um, as bad as, the, as your sibling drama was, it probably wasn't as bad as what James experienced. Do you know why? Do you know who James is who wrote this book? He's, do you know who his older brother is? His older brother is Jesus, okay? Can you imagine your half-brother, right? Yep, it was half-brother, was Jesus. Could you imagine your older brother, like some of you guys had an older brother? Imagine if your brother was Jesus. That was James. Uh, in Mark 6, 3, it says, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James? So just trip out real quick. In your hands right now, what you just read, this letter is from a man who grew up in the same house as Jesus. Just let that blow your mind. This letter, this guy who wrote this grew up with Jesus. And just imagine like every fight you have with Jesus, you just kind of know you're like, dang it, I know he's right. Like every time your parents are like, hey, you need to do something, Jesus is already off like doing it. You're like, gosh, Jesus. Like if, if anyone had inferiority, like the younger sibling issues, it was James. Like, honestly, think about that. If anyone had jealousy issues, if anyone had like, oh, I'm growing up in the shadow of my older brother, it would be the little brother of Jesus. That was James. And in fact, we know from the Bible, James was not a fan of Jesus. We actually know that. In uh, John chapter 7, verse 5, it says, for not even his brothers believed in him, which like, who can really blame James, right? If Jesus is like, hey, by the way, I'm God. You're like, are you kidding me? My older brother, imagine literally this literally happened. Your older brother moves out at age 30. You're like, really? And he goes around telling the world, I'm God. You're like, are you serious, Jesus? Like he grew up and his older brother was telling the world, I am God. And not only did he not believe Jesus, 
It says in Mark 3, when his family heard it, which was just stuff Jesus was doing, they went out to seize him for they were saying, he is out of his mind. James literally was like, my brother has lost his mind. My brother thinks he is God. My brother thinks he is God. And then, okay, James grew up, didn't believe in Jesus, thought his brother was insane. And then look at the first verse in this book. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He went from, my brother is crazy, to I'm a servant of my older brother and he's the Lord. Like, honestly, think about that. Just trip out on that. He went from, my brother is out of his mind, to would you be willing to be like, I'm going to call my older brother, you are Lord of the universe. Like, something happened to James. For him to go, my brother is insane and crazy, and actually, never mind, he's Lord of the universe. Something happened. Um, we actually have an account of partially what happened. I'm going to read you a verse out of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul is telling the story of like when Jesus rose from the dead and went around talking to people, and he, and he says this, Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 7. He appeared to Peter, then to the 12. Then he appeared to James. Okay. Your brother is saying, I'm God. And you're like, you are crazy. And then you watch your brother get publicly murdered, die, buried. And then a few days later, there's a knock on your door. And it's your brother who was just dead. That's literally what just happened. Like, honestly, fathom that. You're like, man, yeah, he can do some miracles and stuff. That's crazy, but he's not God. And then you watch your brother die, and then you open the door, and it's Jesus. That is what happened to James. And just even, like, imagine that meeting. Like, what did Jesus say? And like, what did James do? And honestly, you have to wonder if there's like a little bit of older brother, like, like I told you, bro. And you're just like, dang it, you're right, you are God. Like, honestly, think about that. Like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what his attitude would have been, but Jesus is like, I'm going to visit my brother. And he goes and he meets with him. And then James apparently goes from my brother's crazy to now we know that James was, he was one of the leaders, the pastors in Jerusalem in the early church. Uh, he's called an apostle all of a sudden. Um, and he wrote this letter to, he says, to the dispersion, which is basically to like the scattered church abroad in that area. So James had this ridiculous transformation. And here's kind of just the point, just from right there. Here's the thing. Jesus changes people. Like that's a real thing. When you, when you have a genuine like encounter with the risen Jesus, like you're not the same. Like you just can't be the same. We see this happen to Peter. Peter, a couple days before, this little girl comes up to him and she's like, weren't you with Jesus? And he's like, no, I don't know him. And he denies Jesus. Then something happens because like a couple weeks later, he's publicly preaching Jesus and he likes getting beaten and is thrown in prison for it. Like something happened. Peter, who was afraid of a little girl to like, do you know what? I'm just going to preach Jesus in public. I don't care if I die. Like what happened? 
Well, he encountered Jesus. He encountered a risen Jesus. Jesus died and Peter's sad. And then Jesus shows up and Peter is like, that you're God. And like that changed who Peter was. We know about Paul was literally killing and arresting Christians. He like was the enemy of the church. He was like, it's not too much to say. He, he's like, he was like what ISIS is. That's like what he was doing. That was his goal. I want to kill Christians. And then he becomes the forerunner, the most prominent missionary, wrote the most books of the Bible. Like, what happened? Well, what happened is he encountered Jesus. Like, he had an encounter with Jesus, and Jesus changed him. It, even like, I love church history. Because a lot of times people can say, okay, yeah, do you know what? You're only a Christian because you were born in the United States to a Christian family or just a Christian environment. That's why you're a Christian. Um, but I love church history says that's not actually always the case. There's this guy named uh, Nabil Qureshi. He's written a couple books. He's a Muslim guy, like hardcore religious Muslim. And he was born and raised devoutly Muslim. And then his testimony is he begins to like encounter Jesus. And now he's actually like, he is a Christian writing and trying to reach out to the Muslim world. Like you can't, you honestly can't explain that. Like unless he meets Jesus. We have people in history who are uh, like staunch, smart atheists. You guys know this guy named C.S. Lewis was like one of the smartest humans ever. And he was a professor at Oxford, which is like the top university in the world. And he was devoutly like fighting against Christianity. And then next thing we know, he's like the greatest Christian thinker and author in the 20th century. Like something happened there. He met Jesus. Like he actually had an encounter with Jesus. And I would, I, I know there are people in this room who you could stand up right now and be like, I met a real, I encountered a real risen Jesus and I'm not the same. Like I know there's people right now who could say, I would not be here if it were not for Jesus. Um, that's me. I, I wouldn't be here if I hadn't encountered Jesus and Jesus changed me. And like, this is just, it's funny. I, you guys may think, I, and I can be often pretty like intense with truth sometimes. And part of that is because in college, like I was, I was not this way. I did not believe many of the harder truths in this book. I just thought they were dumb and I thought we could like figure ways around it. And then like Jesus, Jesus changed me. Not like some human who was like, do you know what? No, you need to look at this a different way. Like, like I encountered Jesus, like an actual God being, and he showed me, hey, you need to submit to what I say, and I have new thoughts, not from my brain, but because Jesus like has changed the way that I think. And honestly, one of the strongest evidences that Jesus is real is that he changes people's lives in ways that you can't explain otherwise. Like, that's a real argument for Jesus. You can't explain why people are the way they are apart from encountering Jesus. And do you know why? Because if, if we're honest, following Jesus in our culture is hardly like a beneficial thing. It's, it's, it maybe used to be at some point. It maybe is in certain places in the world. But where we live in our culture, 
there's no real good logical reason, hey, this is how your life's going to improve if you start following Jesus. You're actually going to start being looked at as ridiculous and as old-fashioned and as bigoted and as arrogant and ignorant. There are people who have left their homes and their families and died for Jesus. That's not like, oh, do you know, I think this is going to make my life better. Let me just go die now. Like, they must have encountered a real Jesus, that Jesus changes people. And that's, I, you guys, that really is James and people like him is a real evidence that, that there's this man in the universe named Jesus and he changes people. So a couple questions that we have to ask ourselves. Number one, have you encountered Jesus in such a way that like you're not the same human that you would be if it wasn't for Jesus? Like, can you say that? Can you actually honestly say, I am different because of Jesus? Like, not just, yeah, I believe in Jesus. We, we just read, demons believe in Jesus. Congratulations, you're not in good company. Like, has, do you, are you different? Are you a different human because of Jesus? Not just, like, I, I agree with Jesus' teachings and I try to follow Jesus, but, like, have you had an actual encounter with Jesus that has changed who you are? Like, that is a real question we have to ask. Another question we have to ask is, who are the Jameses in your life? Like, who are people who are just so ridiculously, like, not a Christian? And you're like, there is no hope for them. There is no way they will ever bend their knee to Jesus. Like, think about that. Who are those people in your life? Guess what? Jesus can change them. He's changed his own little brother. He can change them. Who are the people in your life? And, and I just want to like, let's just together remember Jesus is big enough and he loves them enough that he can actually change people. And, and the, the last thing I'd say here is, it's Jesus' love that changes people. It would not be loving for Jesus to say to James, you know what, James? You just kind of figure out what you think about me. I'm gonna let you go your own way. It's the love of Jesus that says, hey, like, come to me. I have something better for you. And so for those people in your life who are like James, like, honestly, let's, let's pray for them. Let's introduce them to Jesus Let's, let's do that. Let's be courageous. Not because like some argument, me or whoever else is going to make them believe in Jesus, but because Jesus is actually real and he will actually be able to change people. So that's the first idea in James. James, this is who James is. And so the actual first verse of James sums up kind of like one of the major themes of James. It, right after it says James, it says this, a servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So James says, I'm a servant of God, and Jesus is my Lord. Um, when he says servant, did you know that the Greek for that word, it probably even says it if you have a little like footnote, the actual word is slave. But our, in English, in our English Bibles, we don't translate it slave because of our history with slavery, like the African slave trade. And so they said, that's, that's not the same kind of slavery. And so people it wouldn't be helpful, so we say servant, but the word means slave. So, so James just said, I'm a slave of God. I'm God's slave. And number two, Jesus is my savior. That's true, but what does he say? He says, he's my Lord. 
Jesus is my Lord. And the, the idea here is when you genuinely encounter Jesus, he's not just your savior. He's not just your savior. He is number one, your master, and number two, your Lord. He's your Lord. And like, okay, we love the idea of freedom as Americans. That's just like in us. We're like, yeah, freedom, fight for your freedom. Like Mel Gibson, you know, Braveheart, freedom. Like that's just, we're like, yes. Um, Boston Tea Party, just this rebellious, like fight for your freedom. And listen, Jesus does talk a lot about freedom. For freedom, Christ has set you free. We're free from the law. We're free from sin. We're free from the power of Satan and death. We're free from trying to earn our way to God but we are also slaves. That's also true of us in the Bible. You are actually God's slave, and he actually purchased you like, like a slave would be purchased. He bought you with the blood of Jesus. And Paul says, I am not my own. We have to say together, if we are truly Jesus's, we're not our own. We belong to God. He is our God and our Lord, and I am his slave. Like, that's, that is this posture we need to have. Son and daughter, yes, yes, you are God's son and daughter, and you are his slave. It's two metaphors that the Bible says is true of us. We are both sons and daughters, and we're slaves. And we are servant slaves of a new Lord, a new master. And the big picture of a Lord is whatever he says, I will do it. Whatever my Lord says, I will do. And that is, a, is one of the themes in James. That is one of the themes of, hey, don't just listen to what God says and agree with it. Like, do what God says. And don't just say, I believe in God, but it's not going to affect my life. He's saying, if you really believe, your faith will act. It will obey. And that is, that is one of the themes in James. If Jesus is your Lord and you are his slave, you will obey what he says. You just will. Now, those verses in James 2 where it says, you know, you're justified by works, they've Pretty, like you've probably, some of you've heard like this is controversial. Oh, he's, he's contradicting what Paul said. He's saying you're not saved by grace, you're saved by works. And it's, it's been controversial, but they really shouldn't be. It's um, because listen, James, James fully agrees that the only way for you to be forgiven of your sins is by the blood of Jesus. He fully agrees that you are saved by grace. Even look at verse 118. We read 18. Of his own will, God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. That's a picture of God is saying, I'm saving you now. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. I just, by my will, I'm bringing you forth. I'm like bringing life into you. So James is saying, yeah, you are saved by grace. What James is saying is not a contradiction. It's, a, it's like a harmony, if you will, with what Paul is saying. Paul's point is this. You are only saved by the blood of Jesus. And James's point is, yes, but if you are really saved by the blood of Jesus, it will change your life. That's what he's saying. He's not saying, if you, you need to change your life and then you'll be saved. He's saying, no, the only way to be saved is by the blood of Jesus. But if you have genuinely be, been saved by Jesus, you will obey him. It will change your life. And if you say, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior, and then you never do what he says, James is saying, 
no, that's not real faith. That's not saving faith. True saving faith is faith that doesn't just sit there. It will bear fruit. And that's why he says things like, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works? Can that faith save him? What he's saying is that type of faith is not saving faith. Real faith changes a person. You have this genuine encounter. You have a new heart. You're filled with the spirit of God. You love Jesus. And you're, you're like, I want and love obeying Jesus. And I will obey him. He is my Lord. Some uh, like historians, theologians have said, you are saved by faith alone, but faith that saves never remains alone. You're saved by faith alone, but saving faith never just remains alone. You're never saved by Jesus and then you just sit there and do whatever you want. No, true faith changes who you are. Um, I'm just, that's pretty much all I'm going to say on that. If you have questions, I would love to, I'll just be up here. Like, we can get into that. I love those, converse, those conversations. But the big idea is, hey, if you're really saved, you're, it's going to change how you live. Um, and so the, the question that James is asking of us when he's saying, do you just listen to the God's word? Do you just listen to sermons? Do you just say, yeah, amen, and then just leave and do whatever you want? Or do you say, ah, I'm saved by grace. Thank you, God. Therefore, I don't have to obey him. The big, the big question we have to ask I have to ask is, where am I simply not obeying Jesus? Where am I just simply like, I know what he says, but I'm not obeying him. Like we, we together have to ask that. Where have you heard God say, do this? And you, you heard it and you agreed with it. And then you just simply walked on with your life. Um, personal one for me, you guys honestly, is evangelism. I'm not gifted in evangelism. I, I don't like uh, when people are mad at me or think I'm weird. So like I've been convicted by God. Like, you know, you have neighbors who live on either side of you and they don't know Jesus and they know you're a pastor and you are like, like I literally like go out of my way so I don't have to talk to them because I'm like, I just want to get home. Like, do, do, am I willing to obey Jesus and go out of my way to pursue them? and love them and get to know them? And specifically, do I love them enough to tell them they need Jesus? Like, and for me, that's the Lord's like, hey, you're, you agree, yeah, evangelism's good, but you have not been obeying me. Uh, maybe for some of us, it's how we deal with like certain substances. Maybe it's alcohol or, or whatever else. Um, not inherently wrong, but like, are, are, are we, are we, doing these things in a, in a way that God says to do them. Uh, maybe for some of us, it's our sexuality or our bodies, um, either like with people or when we're not with people. Um, Jesus is saying, hey, like, if you are really mine and you've really encountered me, like, you have to obey me in these areas. And there, there should be some real growth and some real change in your life. Um, and some of you, I mean, probably all of us, are off in certain areas. There's just certain areas that we just really don't want to obey. And hear this, where we are off, just hear this, Jesus loves us. And he loves us enough to say, that's wrong. 
That's not right. How you're living there, your attitude there, your relationships there, what you are doing there is not right. And that needs to change. And he loves you enough to say, come, come back to me, obey me. It's actually love. Like, like a parent whose child is running out in the street, it's, it's love to, to like stop them and even say, hey, don't do that. That's death. That's, that's the love of Jesus. If you're, if you're off right now and you're like, dang it, I'm not doing it, don't hear this. Hey, you're not welcome here. You need to go. You need to go find another place because this is for really holy people. Hear this. Jesus loves you so much and you're welcome here. And he's saying, hey, come, turn around, obey me, find life. Some of, some of you may feel um, like just really de- defeated or discouraged uh, in a certain area. Like, do you know what? I haven't grown here. Like, there's no growth in this area. Um, in fact, I like, maybe some of you guys feel like a slave to that sin. Um, and I, I want to encourage you, if that's where you're at, um, and you're, you're just feeling like, man, I want to change, but like, I just can't. I want you to know this. Even the resentment you have towards that sin is growth. I want you to hear that. Even the resentment that you have when you fail, that is, that's actually growth. The fact that you hate that thing, the fact that you are like struggling with that thing is actually growth. If you're struggling, that means there's some faith in you, real faith fighting against that. And it may be weak and small, but if you're struggling, hear this, that's growth. That's growth. And don't listen to the lies of the enemy or the world saying, hey, don't worry about it. Just give in. Like, keep struggling. Keep fighting. Keep moving towards obeying Jesus. Um, you know, I think, too, I know that it's, I've just been processing this lately. Truly where we live, like, we just do live in a, in a city and a culture where, like, the current is just it's like going in a direction that's not where Jesus goes. And when we're just in that enough, just throughout our daily life, it like, we really begin to feel like we're crazy when we don't do that, like what the world is doing. Like, like I actually feel kind of crazy. And the questions go through my mind, like, is this worth it? Like, am I just missing out? Is it worth it to like not enjoy this one little thing that everyone's enjoying and no one's noticing what I'm doing? No one's noticing that I'm fighting? Like, and I just feel kind of crazy. Like, is this even worth it? Um, like, that's the world that we live in. That's the culture that we will just probably continue to, to live in. And um, I just want to testify, you guys, it's worth it to follow Jesus. It's it's worth it. And not only worth it to follow Jesus, I will, I will say this, and, and you're not going to hear this from the world. It's actually better, and there's actually more joy. There's actually more joy in saying no to sin and to what everyone's doing. There's actually joy in following Jesus. There actually is. And um, People are going to think you're crazy, and Satan's going to tell you you're crazy and you're, you're dumb. And, and like, I even know, like, when we come in to worship the Lord, I often am just tired. I'm just tired. Like, this is hard. And my attitude is just, like, I just want to, like, plop down and, like, gosh, is this even worth it? But the Lord is like, hey, let me give you life. I am the source of life and joy. 
what else, you guys? Just when if you feel crazy, you should know that that's just confirming what Jesus said. Hey, the road's actually really narrow, and there's actually only a few people on it. Like, that, Jesus said that. He didn't say, hey, when you follow me, it's going to be just bumping, and the room's going to be full of people, and everyone's just going to be following me, and like, you just get to kind of like relax and float along. He says, it's narrow, and few people find it. That's what he says. It's narrow, and few people find it. So if you ever feel lonely when you're following Jesus, like, am I the only one? Just know that's kind of like, that's right. That's what he said. That's what it is to follow him. He, and, and, and here's another thing. The battle for your soul and your obedience, do you know where it will take place? It will, it'll take place 99 out of 100 times when no one else is around and no one else is cheering you on and no one else will even know that you obey Jesus. That's like the battle. And you know what? That is a battle for your soul and it matters. It's the most significant battle, but like nobody's around encouraging you or noticing at all. That's, that's where like the front line for your soul is fought, just daily obedience to Jesus. And then the last thing I would say is our obedience to Jesus is it, while it does, it feels small and we feel crazy, it is the most significant, like honorable battle we could be fighting. You guys, there are actually people in the world who've never heard the name of Jesus and they will perish apart from him. And Jesus is saying, I'm calling you to be a part of something that really matters. I'm calling you to be a part of sharing the gospel and people getting rescued and actually like either supporting or going to nations where they've never heard of me. And I want you to obey me when I say go into the nations and make disciples of the world. Like you actually have been offered a pretty radical life, like a pretty exciting, radical life. And, and it's going to feel crazy, and what am I doing? But I just want to say, it's worth it to follow Jesus. It's worth it to obey him. And, and then when you haven't obeyed him like all of us did today and yesterday, and when we just walk in feeling guilty, here's the last thing we need to know. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus, who perfectly obeyed for us. We're not saved by our obedience. We're not saved by following Jesus. You are saved by the obedience of another. You are saved by the blood of Jesus. And so when you didn't obey today, you are covered in the blood of Jesus. And when you're feeling guilty, just look back to the blood of Jesus and know I am forgiven and I'm a son and I've been purchased. And now I'm going to get back up and I'm going to obey him. And when I stumble and when I fall and when, when I, I don't do a good job, I remember it's about Jesus and that his obedience is enough for me. I am saved by the blood of Jesus alone. And now when I rest in that, I want to go and I want him to be my Lord and I want to be his slave and I want to follow him and obey him because it's better. And so right now we're going to just spend some time with Jesus. We're going to spend some time with Jesus. And um, I want us to just like have this posture of like, Holy Spirit, come and convict me in an area or areas where I'm not walking in obedience. And that's something only God can do. I can't do that. The Holy Spirit has to come and convict your heart. And, and I just want to encourage us to be really honest before Jesus. Like, man, I've, I've been off. Um, and then 
we're going to have a couple opportunities for you to actually like pray for one another, confess to one another. We don't have to be ashamed and like hide our sin because of the blood of Jesus. Like, let's get it out. Let's confess it. Let's be healed by it and have the strength to then go obey. So, you know, pray for us and then let's just enjoy the presence of Jesus together. Jesus, thank you that you are real and you really change, you change us. God, if there are people in this room who have not yet encountered you in that saving way that they are different, God, I just ask by your grace they would encounter you tonight, Jesus. They would hear the news that that though they were sinful, you left heaven and you died on the cross for their sins and that if they come to you and repent, they will be forgiven and have a new life and be filled with your spirit and they will experience the fullness of joy. God, I ask for that for some of us tonight. For others of us, Lord, I thank you for your love to say, hey, you need to obey me. You're off right there. You're in sin. You're hiding that. You need to confess and repent and, and turn back to me and obey me. Thank you for your love that, that rescues us in that area. Jesus, thank you that, that you are with us, that you're in this room, that your presence is here with us. Holy Spirit, would we just allow you to do your work in our heart? We just enjoy your presence and worship you and be fully surrendered to you. You are our Lord. You are our Lord.